Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. Okay, hello, George. Hi. How are you doing today? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. It's been a long day, but uh, say the best or last. So thanks for having me. Mm, I'm really excited to chat with you today. I've been following your account for, I think, just over six months, and I found you through someone else's account. Um, they posted up something that you said or something that you shared, and I responded to your story with agreeing with you and also disagreeing with you. And I think I said something like, I come in peace, um, because sometimes those messages can come across as really antagonistic or um, like kind of looking for a fight or something like that. But you responded with so much openness and really excited to chat. So I have now been following you for, yeah, just I think six months or just over six months. And it's been a time following your stuff. I've learned a lot. I've disagreed with a lot, but your content is definitely thought provoking. And I'm really curious to hear a little bit about your background on kind of what made you start posting up about what's going on with men's issues, um, how society looks at men and treats men and, and whatnot. Well, thank you. I mean, I I don't, I don't want to create a series of content that everyone agrees with a hundred percent of the time. I just want it to be thought-provoking. Whether that's in agreement or disagreement is really up to you, and both are equally helpful. And I'm also glad that I didn't fulfill the sort of the angry white guy that you were probably expecting when you first came in peace. Um, But my journey, my journey was, um, I started the account because I was so tired of not having a part in the conversation of gender and politics. Because I so often found myself in discussions about uh, women's rights and men and gender and politics and identity and race and all this. And often my voice was sidelined or just sort of pushed aside and ignored and not really a welcome voice, mainly because of being a male and also sadly white and straight and all the, all the other labels I get sort of foisted upon me. Um, and I, I just found it didn't really line up with what I was told. I was told that I was supposed to talk but not like that, all about those things. And men can talk, but only from a very particular viewpoint and only about certain things and only in a very narrow set of sort of, um, with a certain set language. And uh, it was only so many times where I could be sort of shouted at or um, mocked or at best ignored that I was like, you know what? I am just going to start saving content for my own personal use. So I just started finding information and data that I found helpful and stories that I found inspiring. And I started putting them on an Instagram account because I, I was too afraid to put it on my personal account and still am. And I, I basically started creating a bank of information and data, especially where I could quite literally have it under the table in discussions. So if we were talking about X, Y, or Z, I could sort of uh, sneakily look under the table and get my account up for which there was no followers, not even me. 
and I could have an informed debate. And I, I found that even over years of doing this, I still found, in my, <laughs> found myself shouted down and still found myself having my voice taken away. And um, then I started to bring my other skills in because I'm a professional filmmaker and a creative. And I, I spend a lot of time working with brands, helping them communicate with audiences. And that's why I brought that's, that skill set in, the ability to communicate in a way that is, um, well, depending on what you want to do, using design and tone of voice and color and style to achieve an objective. And I, I felt men's issues had, had a massive identity crisis, um, a big brand identity crisis. And it was always angry, angry, shouty, bold, in your face. It was always about pie charts and data, and I'd fall into a lot of those mistakes myself. So I sort of stepped back and I was like, I need to make this welcoming and assertive at the same time, and friendly and gender neutral and thought provoking, as you said. And over time, I, I created new content and deleted old content and created better content and deleted old content. And I started creating a tone of voice and a look and feel to my work that I felt was relatively good. And that's where I am. Um, I still get ignored. I still get shouted down. I don't engage in these conversations that much in real life. And it's, I have to bite my tongue a lot. Sometimes I know people are objectively wrong and it's very frustrating. But I know I have a much larger following of people that do support me and do want to hear what I've got to say and are interested. And uh, that's actually quite difficult for me because I get a lot of rejection in real life for my political opinions. At best, I get apathy. At very best, I'll get, I'll be ignored. But then I have a second, second identity online where people love my work. <laughs> people really like it. And I'm, I'm honestly honored and touched and a little undeserving feel. And managing those two different parts of me can be quite difficult. And it, 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 no one really transitions between the two. You're either one side or the, or the other. Mm. And uh, that led me to being where I am now. Uh, and so those are my two skills. I, I care deeply about all people, including men. I know how to use design and tone of voice and film, all creative mediums to connect to audiences. And I also, I come from a scientific background from my family, which is helpful. And I also don't really care too much about what people think of me. <laughs> so I'm willing to sort of say what I think is right. And that comes from my mum and that rational thinking. And I try to bring them all together within a channel of content, I hope resonates with people and it mm. seems to be doing quite well i kind of want to go back to um when you mentioned that you have tried to bring up these certain issues um so many times but you were shouted at or mocked at or at best ignored i'm really curious to talk about that time that transition between um you not speaking up and then speaking up about certain things. You know, um, a lot of the time when we hear stuff in the media, we take it at face value or we're kind of like raised with certain beliefs and we don't necessarily question them or investigate them. But it sounds like there was a uh, like a transitional period, like this liminal space that you were in that you started to actually question some of these things. You started to look into issues of homelessness or mental illness or whatever it was that um, disproportionately affects men. And I want you to like take us through sort of that time that you started to try to like bring things up to people and what that was like. And because I can totally just imagine you right now, like trying to bring something up 
um, in a conversation or or a, a discussion where the topic is primarily focused on women and you trying to add in another perspective and it not being taken very well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely examples of it. I mean, I, I, I hang out with a lot of um, strong, strong-willed women, let's put it that way. And they would often be having lunch. And one of them, I mean, one of them was talking about how um, they didn't want to be in the brownies when they were younger because they felt they wanted to learn more from being a Cub Scout. I don't know if you have it in Canada, but Cub Scouts mm-hmm. is sort of like for boys, brownies for girls. And and in, in the brownies, you learn more traditionally with, uh, girls' skills. And in the boys, you're sort of doing all the boy stuff. And I was like, that's great. That is really great. I'm really glad you sort of were bold enough and brave enough as a, as a young girl to be like, actually, I want to be a Cub Scout. And mm-hmm. then I, I remember saying, like, I wonder if you can, uh, boys can join the brown. And then, and then, like, I didn't even finish a sentence. I was going to say, I wonder if boys can join the brownies. Totally decent question. And then there's like a finger in my face, shouting, literally finger in my face. Like, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I was like, yeah, it's a good question. That's probably why you knew I was going to say it. And then mm-hmm. I, I was having a really bad day that day. That was a Friday. I answered anything in that conversation. I sort of sat there quietly all lunch. And I was feeling awful. And I was like, I don't need to do this anymore. And I remember I had like conversations about sort of difficult things about sort of sexual violence and porn. And if you have, if you ask you the wrong things, you inquire in the wrong areas. You get, I remember I got accused of um, sexual harassment for, for nothing, for nothing, just for asking relevant questions. Um, and that was mm. in regards to, and that was in regards to pornography and wanting to um, show someone how women can, um, monetize their content in, on some online platforms in a way that gives them um, freedom and control mm. of their their lives and their body and their income. And porn isn't all bad. A lot of it is, and a lot of it has to change. But I was like, it, it, it can be better. And here's a website that that is. And then again, <laughs> again, like I didn't even get, I didn't even bring up the porn site. But I was like, that's sexual harassment. That is sexual harassment. And I was like, no, it's not. It's called context. Mm. And it's called evidence and it's called mm. being grown up. Um, and I was like, I'm trying to have a comment. And then I, that was at that point, I was like, when people start saying that, I'm like, I don't need to do this. Which is annoying because I found around, although one or two people I would disagree with quite vocally, there were people around the table that wanted to listen and were nodding along quietly, <laughs> quietly nodding along like, oh, this is, this is interesting. Mm. It's, thought, it's thought provoking. And um, those people are robbed of discussion, I think. And uh, those are the people I was really talking to because the person that's shouting, their mind is made up. Their mind is made up and it will likely won't ever change. And if it will change, it won't be now. People don't change their mind when you tell them to. They change it quietly in the mm. shower or in bed or weeks or months or years from now. But the people that are nodding along quietly, wanting to listen, they are the ones I really talk to. The silent, the silent listeners, I like to call them. And uh, it's the same, same for Instagram. There's obviously... Although you only get a certain amount of likes, that's only a small proportion of the people that are actually reading. And the people that are quietly reading undecided are the ones that I really care about because they're the ones that mm-hmm. decide what happens next. Um, that's hopefully that's not too much of a tangent. But, uh, no, what, what comes up for me when you're saying all of that is, you know, I'm like, when we treat people like that in conversation, especially when someone is not saying something completely unreasonable, 
Um, but even if someone is saying something completely unreasonable, like shouting at them or um, even saying something as heavy as this is sexual harassment to have a conversation about how porn can be empowering for women, right. like what happens? You know, we exile people and then we force people into a space of isolation. And, you know, we're, we're human beings. Like we strive for connection. That's what we want. And then what happens is people find them find themselves in little corners of the internet trying to connect mm. with things that they find important or meaningful to them or th with things that might feel like they it, it empowers them and you ended up you know being mostly anonymous for quite some time with the tin men and it was like these sort of the reactions that you had kind of forced you into this anonymity that um, in conversations that, you know, you felt were really important. And it's just, it, it's really sad that we do shit like that. Yeah, no, it's, it, it seems to be less and less about what I'm saying and more about who I am as a person. Uh, I mean, I remember we talked about it previously, but I, before all of this, about five or six years ago, I spent about a, a week homeless on the streets, uh, to raise money for women who had been abused and trafficked. Like it was hard work. And we did a great job, me and my friend, and we raised a lot of money and a lot of awareness. And even then on Twitter, there was a huge meltdown with me. And it was like, look at these two white guys. They actually said good looking white guys, which I appreciated. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for the compliment. And they're like, look at these white guys. What do they know about domestic violence? And I was like, not very much, actually. But I do know a little bit about raising awareness. Uh, do you want to work together? And they're like, no. And um, mm. our intentions were pure. And uh, we worked really hard and we sacrificed a lot to do that just for that week. And um, it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem right that two people that wanted to be part of the solution were just shouted down for, for literally nothing. Um, mm. And I've seen it again and again. And it's still something that hangs over me now. It's still something that is like a the specter in the room. Like when will people find out what I've done? <laughs> what the people that shouted at me do not know this. and. It's, that day is coming closer and closer, and I really hope when it does happen, the people that have supported me uh, continue to do so, because it's going to be like a day of reckoning, I think. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I feel like something's going to happen in the near future where it's just going to be like some sort of um, giant collision. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just being paranoid. Maybe a little bit paranoid, but also <laughs> it might, but it also might, yeah, it definitely might happen. Um, in which case, you know, you have an opportunity to have hopefully a really formative conversation with a person or not, and they're no longer necessarily connected to you. I am curious though, to talk about, because obviously you must have had you mentioned to me once in a conversation that people were walking around saying, you know, men are so privileged in X, Y, and Z. And you said, I don't feel so privileged. No. And yeah. it made you, you know, uh, kind of re do a, a ton of research into the realities that men face. Um, and I feel like I have to say this caveat at some point, but just because we are talking about men's issues, we're not erasing the issues that women face as well. Um, but I am curious when you are having these conversations for the first time, what are some facts about the issues that disproportionately affect men that really shock people or that you find that 
um, people aren't necessarily really aware of that are quite prevalent? Uh, there's one, I think the big ones are that men living shorter lives everywhere. Every single country on planet Earth, men live shorter lives than women. And that is not something we would accept if it were the other way around. And it is in both industrialized and emerging economies, men live shorter lives and not by a small amount. I remember people were finding it hard to grasp when I'm like, oh, men live four years shorter in this country or 10 years shorter in Russia. So I worked it out in terms of uh, time lost per day. So instead of being a percentage of your lifetime, I worked out as a percentage of your day. So how many hours are men losing every day? And it was like 90 minutes. It was like 90 minutes a day, every day, men are losing in America. In, in, uh, in Russia, it's like 270 minutes or something like that. That's like Lord of the, Lord, almost Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings. It's like every day, every day. And um, that shocked me. It shocked me when I, I learned that in Western countries, boys have been behind girls in school for about 30 years in the UK or 40 years in the US. Because that isn't what I, what I thought I knew. Um, obviously, it's just, just completely different in developing countries where girls are more often behind. And that goes back to saying what you mentioned quite rightly. And I should also say too, I care just as much about women as you or anyone else. I'm just adding to the conversation of boys too. Um, I'm not over, I'm not uh, oh, like steamrolling over women and being like, these are men now. I'm saying yes. And also this, I'm not overlaying one, I'm adding. Um, so yeah, life expectancy, education was shocking, domestic violence, the lack of provision for men, like um, in Canada where you're from, I think there's about one shelter for men. In America, in, there's about one shelter for men. In London where I live, there's none. In, in England, there's 20 beds for abused men, 20 and about 3,600 for women. And it's the disparity in people who are receiving abuse is not that big. It's actually, a lot of people argue that it's, it's, it's similar, similar levels. It's certainly at least one in three men. Or sorry, one in three survivors is a man at, at least. And, uh, and yet it's not one in, not, we don't dedicate one in one third of our resource to men who are abused. Um, mm. And uh, one of them, I mean, one, I was reading one the other day, and it's sort of, um, I haven't talked about this in a while on my account, but I think between one and 20 and one in 50 men, uh, dads, are raising a child that isn't theirs, and they think is. So they're raising a child that they think is theirs, but isn't. Like one in 20. And um, that's really shocking too. No one really thinks about that. Like as a dad, you don't really know if the child's yours. But as a mum, you obviously do because you've given birth to that child and uh, that's quite a lot. Um, in Canada, I'm always shocked when gay men are mostly, gay men are less accepted than gay women in pretty much every country. Uh, gay men are the biggest victims of um, gay hate crimes in America. Uh, in Canada, men are the biggest victim of all hate crimes. So whether it's religion, politics, ableism, uh, sexuality, um, racism, men are the main victim of all of them in Canada. And obviously that's where you're from, Kenzie. Um, and I remember reading that. I sort of sat back in my chair. And these are these, are these stats from like the, the Canadian government. And I was just like, this is too much. It's too much. Like I'm constantly told the world hates women. The world hates women. And a lot of it sadly does. But I don't understand. That did not, I couldn't seem to reconcile that within what I was reading, where men are the ones that were receiving the biggest hate crimes and gay men were the most rejected. Um, gay, sorry, gay men were the least accepted. And boys behind in schools and men living shorter lives and mm. I just couldn't I couldn't make them add up and I just wanted to know why and mm. 
those are the questions I ask. I always ask, I always finish my posts with like, what do you think? Like, what do you think? Because I, I have been excluded from the, the, I've been excluded from the conversation so much. I had to force my way, <laughs> I had to force my way in and build my own conversation. And I'd, I want to make sure other people aren't excluded like I was, especially men, because their voices are so often talked over. And I don't want to be like, what do you think? And I, I often find in my posts, the best content is a lot of it's in the comments. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't offer complete solutions or, or full answers. And I don't even claim to be right every single time. Uh, I just want to point the, the conversation in the right direction and uh, mm -hmm. inc include people and make people welcome. And uh, hopefully I do that as well. Yeah. When I started consuming your content and I started talking to you more often, it definitely shocked me how, how all of these facts were not being discussed at all in any space, not just particularly um, like feminine, feminist dominant spaces, but just mm. spaces in general, just conversations with friends. Um, this stuff never comes up. And it doesn't I guess with the way that we have curated sort of our, you know, liberal politics and how we do and continue to emphasize the safety and um, the progress that women, you know, need and deserve to have here in the West, it is when you start like looking at these things, I feel like it's less about gender and more just about what is disproportionately affecting women and then what's disproportionately mm. affecting men and how do we how do we figure that out together and less so of um it always being so gendered and that was something that you actually taught me regarding toxic masculinity which I want you to take a swing at right now um I want to know what you think of that term and uh yeah I just I just I just quickly going back to what you said Kenzie if possible about how mm -hmm. Um, so few things are discussed that I talk about and that is, that is really bad, but it's also ex ex really good for me in terms of creating original content because there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's this big box of ideas and issues that no one wants to talk about and people have put mm -hmm. it in a box and thrown it into the ocean and sort of, and that's it. And I'm, I'm in there now. I'm in the box sort of frolicking in the garden of forbidden fruit and no, no one's eating from it apart from me. And it's just great. Everyone's like, how do you create original content every day? No one says that, but people probably wonder how do I create original content every day? And it's like, cause no one's talking about these things. Mm. And, then, and that's, that goes back to a little bit like, well, when someone looks in the, the garden and I've eaten all the forbidden fruit and that's when the, uh, that's when it all goes wrong. I imagine. But um, as for toxic masculinity, actually, yeah, let's uh, pause there. Um, in when you, when you do bring these types of things up with people, um, like let's say you're having a conversation, you know, with a friend and let's say they're saying, you know, we need more women scientists or we need more women in mm. STEM or something like that. And if you say something along the lines of like, well, did you actually know that um, it's like pretty split right now, 50-50 or something, whatever, it, whatever the yeah. stat is. Do you ever feel like people just like reject the data or reject yeah. like what you're saying and they just, they can't, it's like, it's, you've got to be wrong or that's not right they, or they, anything yeah. like that. You can't believe is the correct word, Kenzie. They, they actually can't believe it. A lot of these people, their fundamental identity is based on me being wrong. So I, I mm. have to be, I have to be wrong. Otherwise they almost cease to exist as a person. Like they can't believe what I say. Like they're not able to. And STEM is interesting because 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about I talked about it before, and STEM being science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's a, it's it, in the UK at the least. At least, if you actually look at science, um, women aren't women aren't underrepresented at all. Women are about about equal, but STEM as a word excludes a lot of areas such as biology, veterinary science, uh, psychology, neuroscience, um, medicine, and mm-hmm. subjects allied to medicine, and none of them are part of STEM. But they're all sciences. And I'm like, well, what happens if we add these subjects back to STEM? And what happens is that women aren't underrepresented anymore. So it's a really, it's a sleight of hand STEM. And mm. it was annoying when I said that because I remember I got attacked on that. I mean, the initial post I did on that, people were like, well, what are subjects allied to medicine? And what they are, they're the psychologies, the neurosciences, toxicology, uh, pharmacology, uh, all, all sciences and then the whole subject being like oh tin men hasn't posted exactly what these are and i'm like the document that says it is about 150 pages long i can't share mm. it all but here's a link and then um and that and the whole conversation got hijacked and made about that and i was like but look at what i'm saying like we are using mm. a term that is deliberately excluding areas of sub- areas of study where women are ahead to paint a false narrative that is politically motivated and um mm. the point is i get i get held to such a high level of scrutiny because people want me to be wrong. And I get contacted all the time. People being like, well, I'm going to look into your content. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, one guy was like, I'm going to come back in 24 hours and I'm going to do a da 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 expose. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I've, I've destroyed six people in the last week. And then wow. a week later, a week later, I was like, oh, how did it go? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and uh, I'm always like, it's fine to hold me to, to this level of scrutiny, but I just want you to hold everyone else to it. Like, I, like, because people get away with saying whatever they want, saying mm-hmm. whatever they want. And I, I provide sources, I provide data, I try to get as close to the research as possible. And I still get held to an impossible level of scrutiny. And it's benefited me because it makes me try to make my content as tight as possible. And I'm going to begin working with uh, scientists, like researchers, who are, mm-hmm. who are committed to what I'm doing, just to make sure it's completely watertight. And I just wish people were as sort of um, able to scrutinize others as they are me, because it's, it's not fair. And I... I I have to be 100% right every single time. And if I'm not, it all kicks off. But people, mm. throw, people elsewhere throw, away, throw on stats and statistics and studies without any sort of like a responsibility. No sources, no nothing. They just type it in and they're like, here you go. And um, that, that I, has to, there, there has to be some type of commonality though between you and other feminist accounts because there are definitely people who challenge those accounts. I mean, you know, um, and similar to you, sometimes people go so far as to doxing them or, um, yeah. you know, creating reddits about them or, um, anything like that. So there, there are definitely like commonalities here, which again, like kind of comes back to the fact that it's not necessarily so gendered. Um, mm. and I have seen some of the ways that like, you know, certain women have talked to you from feminist accounts and it's like pretty belligerent. And it's very, it's like very, very, very confrontational. And it is almost like if you bring up some of these, um, some of these facts, it's, it is almost like people are assuming that you're taking something away from them and you're not. Yeah. I think people are acclimatized to a a one way street in this sort of conversation. And I can understand why me wanting to add a, add a lane to that road feels like they're being compromised. Mm-hmm. And in some ways they are like our compassion as a society is finite. And if I'm wanting to move some of it over to men, um, it does divert attention away from women in some ways. And that's not what I want. 
because I do obviously care for women. Um, and also it's important to say that a lot of the issues that men and women face are symbiotically linked. They're symbiotically linked. Um, for example, if you look at violent men, men like violence against women, it's, it comes from violent men. And violent men often come from fatherless homes. So if mm. we can solve fatherlessness, which is something I'm constantly talking about in terms of giving men, um, giving dads equal rights, giving men reproductive rights, and looking at why men leave their families, if we can solve that problem, we can solve boys being abandoned by their dads. And if we can solve that, we can solve um, those boys growing up and more likely having behavioral issues and more likely to become violent men and more likely to become abusive towards women. And there are so many examples of that happening. The same, the same goes for if we can give men, in the UK, we have two weeks paternity leave, I believe, for men paid and 52 weeks for women. I know that because my sisters had a baby not long ago and that's mm -hmm. how long she had. And my brother-in-law had two weeks. Um, but if we can get fathers to have, if we can give fathers more paternity leave and force them to take it, then we will close the pay gap because the pay gap isn't against women, it's against mothers. It's because mm. essentially there's no pay gap for, for women before about 30, 35. But at that age, women tend to leave work to raise children. And that's where they miss out on promotions. That's when they miss out on pay rises. That's when they miss out on bonuses. And then they fall behind fathers who return to work after two weeks and continue pretty much unobstructed um, in their career path. So if we can get these fathers, um, if we get mothers back into work and fathers back at home, uh, that will help close the pay gap and it will allow fathers to be more um, connected to their children. And again, that, will, that leads back to happier and healthier children, especially boys. And as I said earlier, I mean, that's, that's good for everyone. So it's like by advocating for men, you are also advocating for women because they, mm. they are causal. And, and uh, don't you think that people usually, um, because this is at least this is the way that I've been talked to whenever, when I have uh, occasionally brought these types of things up to people, that the onus is still on men to kind of like pick up their own slack and to figure it out themselves, that I, like I constantly yeah. get that sort of that, I don't know if it's like an energy, because it's not explicitly said like people are like, well, People will say like, well, that's their thing to figure out. You know, yeah. if if men are abusing other men and if men are creating fatherlessness and if it's all of these things, then it's their problem to deal with. But I just couldn't imagine actually, and again, this isn't to say that people don't have personal responsibility and accountability because I'm very, I, I'm, I, I really appreciate, you know, uh, individual responsibility that's really important but it's not an either or it's a both and that we have this collective responsibility to each other regardless of gender and then also an, a whole pocket of space of individual accountability but it always does seem to come back to well this is something that they have to deal with that they have to figure out they just I, I just don't understand who is they who is they? <laughs> men. <laughs> but who, what do you mean men? There isn't, there isn't just one man. Men are not monolithic. There is no, there is no men. It's like we are mm -hmm. all individual men. We all have our own individual responsibility for ourselves. And that's the end of the conversation. Like this idea of men did it to themselves is a massive stumbling block that I'm so tired of. And mm -hmm. it's sort of like when a woman, when a woman has a problem in society, but if a woman has an issue, we're like, what can society, how can we change society to help her, which is correct. And that's what we should do. But if a man has a problem, and often it's the same problem, we're like, what can a man do to change himself? 
What can a man mm. do? Well, he did this to himself somehow. Somehow he's somehow he writes the laws. This guy, homeless guy, like he writes the laws, and he started all the he started all the wars, and he's the king of the world, and he's existed for a thousand years. Like that mm. is not reality. That is a fairy tale. Like the men mm. who are suffering did not do this to themselves. And that's never saying it. Never saying I hear a lot is um, women have problems. Men are the problem, and it's just flawed thinking and just built on spite and hate and ignorance and it's just mm-hmm. i've got no tolerance for it and you i just don't i just think just because men write the laws and they do most positions of power in politics are men and you'd be an idiot to deny that mm-hmm. but just because men <laughs> just because men write the laws doesn't mean the laws are written for men they're written by men just not for them um and it's easy to see when you look at you know provision or healthcare and how homelessness and how they are never seen as gendered issues, and men are never specifically targeted by anything. There is no department for men's health. There is no men in work. There is no office for equalities in men. There's none of that. But they all exist for women. So I just don't understand. Like I don't understand. I don't understand this idea of men did it themselves. And you should, if you don't believe that, you should go and tell the, the homeless men you find you did this to yourself. And see how how good you feel about saying that, and look mm-hmm. at his face, and uh, I just think I hate that. I hate it. Mm-hmm. And this idea of identity politics, grouping men together—they did it to themselves. We've been in power for. I get that men have been in power. You've been in, no, not men. You've been in power for a thousand years. I'm like, listen, I'm 32 years old. I'm not a thousand <laughs> years old. I'm not some warlord. I, I don't. I'm just a regular guy. And I did not do this to myself. And yeah, no, I hear that a lot. And I, I think that has to end. And it's it's just a big part of identity politics where people can't see men as individuals. And we, it's like, buy other men. Who did it? Buy other men. And I was like, well, who does that help? No one. Who does it mm-hmm. help? Whenever I talk about, whenever I talk about um, men being sexually assaulted in prison, it's, that's just the first thing people reach, to, reach for. Who, who's doing it? Men. I'm like, well, so, so what? So what, like what, just because two people, just because a, a victim and a perpetrator share a gender, what cancels it out and therefore no longer matters. Like, and mm-hmm. Again, no, nowhere else would it be like, oh, officer, I was um, robbed. Was the guy, the guy have brown hair? Yeah, you got brown hair. Okay, in that case, in that case who cares? See you later. It's, it's odd. We don't say that for like um, knife crime. We, don't, we wouldn't say when uh, like black on black crime, we wouldn't be like, oh, that doesn't count because it's black people doing it to the black people with... Um, abusive relationships if a lesbian woman's being abused and like well you're being abused by another lesbian woman that doesn't matter and um mm-hmm. these ideas these this flawed thinking is really quite frustrating and i think people need to sort of snap out of it a little bit yeah and it definitely sounds like you're also asking for integrity if people are having these types of standards for all of these other groups and then that those standards don't hold or they l- lack their own standards yeah. um, when they talk to you or they talk about these types of issues, you're sort of like pointing out the holes and the, yeah. the weaknesses. And it's, re- it is really disappointing because you would never say that for black on black crime. You just, you no, would no, never, no. you would never, and it would be rightfully wrong to say, well, if, well, if other black people are, in violence with other black people more disproportionately than white people with black people, then uh, you like, you know, we would never say, we would never blame it on race. We would, yeah, we would never, ever, ever do that. 
we wouldn't say black people are inherently bad. Like me just saying that is awful. But it's we, awful. we, we, we yeah. reach we, we reach for that immediately with men. Men mm-hmm. are just bad. Men are, but we look at the, the underlying factors of what causes black and black crime. Uh, a lot of it mm-hmm. being poverty. But no one, no, one listen, no one dares reach for that for men. Right. They did this to themselves. They did this to themselves. A lot um, of the times what they'd say is something like, this is toxic masculinity. And yeah. that's what we need to, that's the thing that we need to address. So George, please address that for us. I don't like the term. I think there's much better words for it. We, we have a word called hegemonic masculinity, which already describes those behaviors, which do exist. There, are, there is a dominant sort of culture within men, especially. Men are more violent than women in general. Men are more competitive. These, these behaviors do exist. And people are like, do you deny it exists? I'm like, no, it exists. But I don't like the way we use the word toxic masculinity. It closes down conversation. It alienates men. It divides gender. And it, make, it pushes people away. It takes away men's voice. And it, it goes back to, you did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. And it's, at no point are we like, well, what is making men toxic? Like, where are these toxic attitudes toward men coming from? That's what I would like. Mm. It's not toxic masculinity. It's toxic attitudes toward masculinity. Like our mm. attitudes as society for men to be successful, to be dominant, to be aggressive, to, like, to go get it, like, to, to have status, to have money, uh, to, not, to not show their emotions. These are all toxic attitudes toward masculinity, which often mm. can become taken on by men and inhibited, uh, a lot like internalized misogyny. But men inhibit it and they play it out and they, they play a part in their own demise. But we never look at the journey these men have been on. We never look at what makes a man violent. We never, we never ask that question. We just say, because he's toxic. And that is the end of the mm-hmm. conversation. And it is. And the people that use these terms are so belligerent. They're so, mm-hmm. re- they refuse to let go of the word. And I, I genuinely feel like there's a future version of all of these people looking back with disappointment and that uh, no one likes to be the villain and no one likes to be proven wrong and no one likes to be part of uh making society worse and especially if you think you're part of the solution and uh you just got to get over that again i, I yeah so i hate my mas- toxic masculinity i work a lot with um men's mental health charities and they don't like it either i think most people don't mm. like it i think it's a, a vocal minority that use that term and um, I find it insulting. I find it offensive. I find it damaging to boys, especially. Um, I find it limits conversation. I find it it just further villainizes men. Villainizes men. It doesn't interrogate why. It doesn't ask why for anything. And mm-hmm. again, we would not use that term for any other group of person ever. Just the idea of using that term in front of any other group would be abhorrent and wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is. And it is wrong. And uh, there, are just, there are better words. Like I said, hegemonic masculinity, toxic attitudes towards masculinity, toxic attitudes towards men. These are terms that I would use myself. And they do, do exist. You want to, um, do you want to define hegemonic masculinity for us? This is an ongoing conversation I'm having on Instagram. And I know people don't agree on a, on a set definition. But, um, okay. It's essentially the characteristics of uh, sort of male dominance. Like it's, 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 it's basically the same as toxic masculinity. Like a man who wants to dominate, a man who's competitive, who's aggressive, who's violent. Um, mm. It's a very, very much um, the, the characteristics of a man who's absorbed into a sort of a dominance-based society. And it's recognized, it's academic. It, it, it sort of um, invites further questions and um, people accept it. And 
I think it's, it's just a much better term, more, more grown up term. Mm. And it it's it is a little bit weird. Like you know, I a couple of friends of mine had um, had a baby in April, and his name's Pascal, and he's so sweet and so precious. And I remember like holding him and rocking him, and thinking like. I could never look down at you and say like, you're going to be so toxic when you grow up, <laughs> you know? And it just yeah. felt so, it, it has those, that term, the term um, like men are trash. Uh, you know, I yeah. remember a couple of years ago, I ended up in some like Twitter war with some people who were saying like <sighs> men are trash and they're garbage. And I asked, I said, which men are you talking about? Are yeah. you talking about black men? Are you talking about poor men? Are you talking about homeless men? Are you talking about disabled men? Like which men in particular yeah. are you talking about? And they said, you know who we're talking about. And I said, I don't though. I, I, always, I, don't. Ask, I always ask you talking about trans men. What about George Floyd? Is he trash as well? Like, right. Like, like, that's why that's how you get him to stop saying it. They're like, kill all men. Mm. Like, okay. What about George Floyd? Mm. And then that's the end of the conversation. And then normally show up. But sorry, so <laughs> and get on. mad and get and, and yeah, get yeah, they're like, oh, you've made us look silly. <laughs> um. And 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 it also, the term toxic uh, masculinity kind of also um, means that there is almost like this this non toxic side of masculinity, which I I have seen explored online, which um, we have chatted about a little bit. There's this like yeah. whole movement of men talking about this conscious masculinity and. And at the same time, it almost seems like they revere women so much to the point that they make women into like these like goddess oracles who can do no wrong. Mm. And I think you were the first one to tell me what benevolent sexism is. So I'm curious if you can um, explain that for our listeners. Well, benevolent sexism is often something women experience, I find. Um, again, it's deeply contested too. And it's this idea that women can do no wrong. Women are saints, women are perfect angels, sort of smiling, beautiful creatures of absolute purity and oracles, as you said. And there is a there is a weird new community of mainly men who are talking about women like they are just all all great. And they're mm. all it's like children. It's like infantilizing, it's patronizing, and it's not empowering. It only empowers a very narrow definition of femininity. And if we want to empower women, we have to empower the good and the bad. And the mm. capacity to do wrongdoing and greatness. Because women can be great and they are great, but they can also be bad. That they, mm -hmm. they are here's a crazy idea. Women are just as capable of good and bad as men. Like what a what, like wow, what a crazy idea. But people don't seem to be willing to say that. And it's not just about a bunch of men in linen shirts talking about how great women are and just, you know, pontificating. It it has a real impact in society. Like women are we are a lot more reluctant to see women as of guilty as guilty of anything. There's a great study mm -hmm. by um, Professor Sandra Starr who looked at the sentencing of men and women in America, and she found that women were twice as likely to avoid prison for the same crime. Mm. And if if they were sentenced, men would receive a prison sentence 63% longer than than um, women. So we were sentencing men more often and and for longer periods of time than women. And like that that for me links back. A little bit to the benevolent sexism, where we're like, "Well, why did she do this? I mean, it must not have been her fault. Maybe she was coerced into doing it by a man." And a lot, they actually, some of them are actually good questions. But I think we should be asking that of men too. Um, and again, we reach for the inherent badness of men, whereas for women, we look at why, why, surely not, surely she wasn't acting with autonomy. 
Like we'll, we'll take away her autonomy when it's her autonomy to do something bad, but we all empower autonomy when it's to do something good. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm all for women's autonomy in whatever form or guise that takes, good or bad, that's their choice. And both are empowering. Um, it's like the, the Warren Farrell said, um, we always ask if God is a woman, but no one ever asks if so could the devil. And uh, mm. until we can ask that question on both sides, I don't think women will be ever, will be empowered because we'll continue to see them as children who are sort of yeah. innocent. Yeah, like it's almost like it's infantilizing in a way. Yeah, do you find it patronizing? Do you find it patronizing to be seen as like this angelic, do no wrong? I mean, child? I kind of love it, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> There's a part of me that totally, that uh, it's definitely obviously like an ego stroke to think that, yeah, I'm, I can't do any wrong because I'm a woman, but um, for sure. But intellectually speaking, no, of course not. And I think it um, kind of robs us of almost like our free will. Like yeah. we have these morals and we have values and we have ethics and we get to choose every single day yeah. to be good people. And that is taken away by saying, no, you're just good. No, yeah. no, it's more simple than that. You know, and it kind of, it does kind of rob this layer of complexity. And it also means that um, because I do think that there's like such a thing as toxic femininity. I think that there is 100% the ways that, um, women have been socialized to, um, interact with other women. There are like 100% yeah. these so-called toxic traits or just, you know, negative traits that I think that we can all work on in, um, primarily women's spaces. And, but if you talk about that, it's almost seen as if like, well, you're just doing that because of men, like somehow or another, that's men's fault again. And it's like, at some point, how do we have any power if yeah. everything is just because of men, if everything is just because of men? And I think that that just goes back to that whole stereotype that women are nothing but sheep nothing but sheep yeah. and there's no original thought it's always just been implanted by a man um and men are pigs always and yeah. they're dominating and like and so i definitely think it robs us of stuff for sure yeah people who say that have a very dull opinion of women and they see them mm -hmm. as just incapable and weak and it's it's annoying it's it's actually a feminist idea well if mark atwood we talked about her and she said it too she's like women are not saints they're just as capable of uh, good and bad as men and um, they're not they're not um, incapable of wrongdoing, and it's, uh, it's 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 almost like the flip side of what we talked about earlier about men's inherent badness. We we see women as inherently good, and that hurts women too. Um, but it also it hurts men as well, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but she got into trouble. I mean, she yeah. spoke about some opinions that she had, and she got into big trouble. And she was told that she wasn't a feminist anymore because she was asking for um i don't even want to go into it because it's just it's a for people if they want to research it then they can research it but she spoke about her opinions on some things that were happening here in canada um at a university and she she was really shut down really fast really 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 fast and she mm. was told that she was you know not a good person and she didn't have any morals and it's kind of like this like uh, reduction that we do of people that where we kind of reduce them down to this one thing that they've said. Like we stop looking mm. at them like they're a whole being. And I think that that's what we do with men all the time. Like mm. um, you talked recently about 
um, a man box <laughs> and uh, kind of the ways that we like reduce men down to like a very narrow set of constraints and mm. there isn't a lot of flexibility or wiggle room. And I think that that's what we do when we say stuff like this is just toxic masculinity. This is um, this is men just like being men and we're not looking at it in a way that is comprehensive or in a complex framework. We're looking at it. We're just reducing it down to these very simple, narrow Catch sets raises. of constraints again. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you want to tell us? Bef- <laughs> well, the catchphrase annoys me because it's like, well, we don't mean all men. And no, we don't mean all men. And we're not saying men are toxic. And it's like, how many times do we have to have this conversation before you think like, maybe it's the, the phrase that's wrong. If so many mm. people can misinterpret your phrase, maybe it's the phrase that's wrong. Like, are you willing to accept that? Um, as for the man box, I mean, it's not my idea, but it's something I do agree with. Um, and it's it, yeah, it's about the box in which we put men. And originally, it's sort of um, the emotionless, stoic hero and the provider, especially uh, provider, hero, strong, dominant. And men are climbing out of these boxes a little bit. They're being um, more vulnerable. They're willing to talk. They're willing to cry. Uh, but I find we are just climbing into new boxes and boxes like privilege and patriarchy and um, is, isn't just one narrow definition of men replacing another. And I, I hate it too. I hate labels. People always try and put labels on me. People think I'm a feminist. People think I'm a men's rights activist. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't want any of these labels. I just want to be called George. And that's it. An, an individual. Because I... Uh, and, that's, and yeah, I just think we need to sort of let go of these labels and um, all the boxes, I think. Um, and it's just, it's just sad to see men constantly being forced, and just like women, being forced on these very narrow expectations and, and not able to sort of um, become who they actually are. Mm. What do you think that women and men can do to be helpful to um, the men around them and in their lives? I think what we need to do if we're going to talk about men's issues more seriously, what we can all do is we need to stop internalizing what's happening to men. A lot of, a lot of people, when we talk about men's problems, we, we talk about men can cry, men can talk, and they are very worthy ideas. And they, we, men do need to talk, and boys do, do need to cry, but that's not the end of it. And by saying those things and only saying those things, we are limiting the, the real problem. And I think. A lot, like, a lot like women's problems, men's problems are systemic and entrenched and normalized as well. And boys crying is not going to, is not going to close the education gap and men talking mm-hmm. is not going to stop them dying younger. Uh, and we need to, we need to be a bit more serious about it and stop talking catchphrases and start listening. I, I talked to um, a friend of mine who runs a charity who's all about men talking uh, to each other. And that's basically what he does. He sets up spaces around the UK for men to talk and it's fantastic and it's really, really good. And I, uh, I think they're a great charity. Um, and I said to him, there's a researcher who did some really good work on uh, male suicide. And she, she found that um, 90% of men who had taken their lives had sought help. So this idea that men not talking is kind of factually wrong in, in that study in particular because these men had sought help. And they were willing to talk, but they didn't get any help. They weren't helped in the mm. right way. So that's the problem of catchphrases. And I, I put that to um, my friend and he was like, yes, but how are we going to know what the problems are unless we encourage men to talk to us? 
So I feel mm. like the, again, the, the, the solution is um, symbiotic in that we need to encourage men to talk and then we need to learn to listen and put aside what we think we know about men and what we've taught mm. about, what we've been taught about gender politics. And we need to sort of start again and encourage men to talk and we need to listen. And hopefully the two come together with change. And, um, and that's only we can do that as a, as a society. And um, until we learn that talking about men doesn't negate women. And, um, and until we can do that, nothing will change, I don't think. And uh, we need to stop limiting men's issues to internalize problems and stop pretending that the solution is just a few more tears and a few more mm. words. Because it's not like that. We don't tell women to cry about their problems. Again, that's another thing we wouldn't say. Like, oh, yeah, we'll go cry about it. Like we would, we would never say that. It's, a, it's, it's almost like a joke thinking that we would say that to anyone else. Mm-hmm. But, but we seem to think that's, that's good. We seem to think that's advocacy for men. It, and it isn't. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. And it, it minimizes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you frame it like that, it seems, again, it's just like this little platitude that we give to men just to say like, well, if you only cried, then all of your toxicity yeah. would be gone. It's yeah. going to come out of your tears kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the issues, so many of the issues I talk about are not solvable through men crying at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Like, like fathers losing their children in court is not going to be solved by them crying about it. It's going to be solved by them demanding change and us giving it to them. And like, it's, like, it's limited. But it's still good. I still think it will do a lot of good mm-hmm. if men learned more emotional linguistics. Because it will benefit them and it will benefit us because we will actually be able to listen and understand who they are a little bit better and what they're going through. Because the father like, is losing his child. He needs to tell us. He needs to tell us, I'm suffering. I'm, I've fallen through the cracks of a broken family court system and I need help. And until we give him the language for him to say that, we can't make the change because we actually don't understand what's going on. And again, we need to listen to, and we need to sort of put aside our presuppositions of, of the problem and start again, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Thank you so much. Where can everybody find you online? On Instagram. Everyone keeps trying to get me to do different things. Like you got Twitter, you got this, you got YouTube, make YouTube, TikTok. No, thanks. Um, to, answer, <laughs> to answer your question, Instagram, just Instagram, the tin men, all one word. Uh, the Tin Men, yeah, and that's it. It's all there. I'm trying mm-hmm. to all my my all I want to do is just put up daily content that's original and thought provoking, and uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Do you have a Patreon where people can support you? <laughs> you know I do, and yes, but I don't. I've never. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I don't share it with anyone, and I haven't. And maybe I should. I know this is a conversation we've had offline, Kenzie, and you think I should, and. A lot of it is down to imposter syndrome. And I also don't want to be committed to anything. If people start donating money to me, then I can't stop. And I already feel like I can't stop too much. So, yes, I have a Patreon. And I think it's, I think, it, I don't even know what it is myself, but I think it's also the Tin Men. Um, I don't know, forward slash the Tin Men on Patreon. Great. Thank you so much, George, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kenzie. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. 
Until next time.